We're going to continue on in our study in 1 Corinthians. And this evening, we're going to look at chapter 5, the whole of chapter 5, reading from verses 1 to verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, reading from verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be safe in the day of the Lord. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that the little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now, I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears in the name of brother if he is guilty of sexually immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not I? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Perch the evil person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to stand now for the gospel reading. The gospel reading for this evening is found in the seventh chapter according to the gospel of St. Matthew, <coughs> reading from verse 1. Glory to Christ our Saviour. Matthew's gospel, chapter 7, reading from verse 1 to verse 5. Jesus says, Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ our Lord. Shall we bow our heads as we commit this time to the Lord in prayer? So Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is 
freely and readily available to each and every one of us. We pray for this evening that we may receive this with joy. We may receive this with anticipation, with hearts willing to respond to what you have to speak to us. So Holy Spirit, come into our midst as we avail ourselves to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Will you please be seated? You know, the church in Corinth was not only a divided church with its various preference for certain leaders, as well as the insistence over different views regarding wisdom and power, you'll find that the church in Corinth was also a church that was defiled. Why was it defiled? Because we find that there was sin in the assembly. And yet, even though there was sin in the assembly, sad to say, everyone knew about it. And what's probably worse was that nobody seems to want to do anything to rectify the situation. In other words, they were guilty of sweeping the matter under the rug. Now, granted that no church on earth is perfect, but listen, human imperfection must never be an excuse for sin. Though we don't like to hear about sin being preached, but we rather receive a message about love and grace, nevertheless, just as any good parent will discipline their children in love when they are wrong, so too must the church exercise discipline over her members who have fallen away. This is biblical teaching, and this is part of of discipleship. But not to be mistaken, church discipline is not, you know, a group of pious Christians acting as policemen wanting to intentionally catch any offender. No. It doesn't mean that you are given the license to go around checking each other. Rather, church discipline is a group of heartbroken disciples seeking to lovingly restore any errant member who has gone wrong within the body. And to be a healthy church, to be a growing church, to be a vibrant church, this is what we must boldly do when we are aware of any situation in our midst. In the context of this chapter, we find that the Corinthian church apparently did not want to face or to deal with the sinful act. And so Paul, as the mentor that he was, the founder of the church, he had to give counsel. And he presented this, and he did this by presenting three fundamental instructions regarding church discipline and sin. So today's sermon then is all about the church's correct response to sin, to any form of sin. But before we go into that, let's first look at the sin that was committed by the church. So once again, if you have your Bibles, <coughs> look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you find that Paul's opening sentence, he mentioned here a particular member and the sin that was committed. And this tells us that Paul was well aware of what was going on in the church. Verse 1 says this, it is actually reported so he knew about it. It was actually reported that there is a sexual immorality among you. 
and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, this word sexual immorality in Greek is the word pornia. And you can guess the word pornia comes from the word porn, pornography. And the original meaning here means consulting with a prostitute. But this word sexual immorality can also come to refer to any type of sexual evil. And in the Corinthian case, it appears that there is a professing Christian who is a member of the assembly. And what was he doing? He was cohabitating with a permanent relationship, guess what? With his father's wife. All your jaws would be dropping by now. Now, had, the, had, this, had this woman been the man's biological mother, Paul would have clearly indicated so. So we can kind of infer that this woman was probably his stepmother. But then again, you know, commentators argue about this and it's open really for debate. But whatever the case, this man was cohabitating, he was sleeping, he was living with his father's and furthermore, we find that Paul does not seem to pass judgment on the woman. And this tells us that perhaps she was not part of the church and probably not even a believer. But nevertheless, nevertheless, this sexually immoral act was a sin that is clearly condemned in the Old Testament law. Because if you look to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 8, God's law simply states this. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. So whether is it the biological father or is it the stepmother, it doesn't matter. This person is committing a great sin. And yet the amazing thing is this. The whole Corinthian church blatantly allowed this to happen and they did nothing to correct the individual and his actions. And this led Paul to shame and to reprimand the church, saying that such a deed is not even tolerated among the pagans. So that was the sin. Now the Bible in Revelation, the Bible in Revelation declares to us that the church, we as the church, are to be the bride of Christ. That when the time comes for Jesus to come to receive us as his bride, the church ought to be pure, the church ought to be holy, radiant, and blameless in every aspect. If the church is to be the holy bride of Christ then, when he appears again, then what must we do? We must not stand by as a church and permit sin to defile us and thus ruin our testimony. How then should the church of today respond correctly to one who sins within the community? What steps ought to be taken? Today we find that Paul gives us the three important steps. And these are steps that I think is very practical for each and every one of us. If we are facing difficulties, we are struggling with a certain sin, we should be doing these three steps. And so let's begin. 
as we look at how Paul dealt with this, we find that the first thing, the first question he did was to question the Corinthians' attitude over the prescribed sin. He says in verse 2, Are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Now the word used here for mourning is the deepest and the most painful kind of personal sorrow. It is like mourning over the death of a loved one. And an excellent, an excellent uh, example is that of King David, who mourned upon realizing of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba. He mourned over his sin. And listen then to this beautiful psalm that is found in Psalm 51, which talks of David's repentance. Psalm 51, verse 1 to 4. David said this upon realizing that he has gone wrong, that he has sinned against the Lord. He says this, he cried to the Lord, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. And then he even realized that he, he has sinned against the law. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. We continue on in verse 7. David continues, says, Purge me with high soap, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. And then here's that famous verse that we all know so well. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from my presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So can you sense here the warning, the deep sorrow of David upon realizing that he has sinned, realizing that he has, he has done something wrong against the Lord? Can you see that, that sense of repentance, that need to realize that I need to change? And this is what mourning over our sin really means. But though Paul says you are to mourn for your sin, notice what, were the, what, what was the reaction of the Corinthians? Instead of grieving over this sinful matter, we are told that the people here, they were full of pride. They were very arrogant. You know, in fact, verse 6 informs us that they were boasting over this matter as though they were doing something good. And the boast here was that they were open-minded. You know, that, and, and, and as pointed out in verse 1, that they were tolerant over the matter. However, according to Paul, his view is this, that the guilty person should be removed or in church term, should be excommunicated. No more shall that person be part of the church. But you know something? The sad fact in today's context is that we Christians sometimes, instead of grieving over sinful acts, we participate in it as though it is nothing wrong. 
The sad fact today is that we have Christians who support the gay and lesbian lifestyle or marriages. And when we do that, you know what happened? We are labelled as intolerant. We are considered as not open-minded. And so, what do we do? Not wanting to be out of place and due to pressures from maybe your workplace or maybe from your friends, what do we do? We give in because we don't want to be termed as intolerance. We don't want to be termed as, as, as you know, we want to be termed as open-minded. But church, let this be very clear. If we are to hold on to the Bible as God's word, then it is not a matter of being intolerant. It's not a matter of being whether you're open-minded or not. As long as we are Christians, we believe in the word of God we must be obedient to what the Word says. And the Word of God tells us that if these acts are sinful in the eyes of God, we should not be participating in any such things. And for sure, we shouldn't be arrogantly or proudly boasting of our support over such cause, like the Pink Dot Movement or the Gay Parade. For such lifestyle, as I already said, is totally contrary to God's word. In God's eyes, such lifestyle is sinful, should not be practiced in any way. If we are guilty of any sin, we ought to be mourning over it. That's the first step. We move on now to the next few verses from verse 3 to 5. And now we find that in this next section, Paul describes a kind of an official church meeting, you know, where the offender was dealt with with a divine counsel. He says in verse 3, I've already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. While as Christians we do not judge one another's motives, we are however still expected to be honest with each other's conduct. Sin, any form of sin, must be judged and condemned. So if anyone of our midst, if we know we are sinning, we should go up to that person and confront and say, brother, sister, you need to repent, you need to change. We must not be afraid. No sinful act must be ignored or swept under the carpet as though nothing has happened. Because we find here that Paul takes a very serious stance against sin. And from here, we can see that it's very obvious that he's not suggesting that the matter or the offender be handled very gently. We can assume that every effort had been made to confront, to attempt, to change the individual in love, but there was no change. So Paul now is showing us that the next step is the hard approach. But you know, we can argue and say, but pastor, why do such a hard line? After all, aren't we Christians? You know, the Bible teaches us we need to show love, grace, and forgiveness. Well, yes, we should be doing that. And as I already mentioned, the first step when we confront the person, we should do it out of love. But here's the thing. If the person refuses to change, we must remember that bad habits and sins, if they're not eradicated, if they're not permitted, what will happen? They will influence the community. They will contaminate the rest of us. 
ultimately causing the church to be defiled. And you see, the very same thing happened to the Israelites. If you recall, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt into the Promised Land, what was their instruction? Very clearly, God told them to wipe out the inhabitants of Canaan. Why? Because they're going to be a bad influence to the Jews. But if you know your Bible well enough, you realize that the Jews didn't do this. Not all of them, not all of the inhabitants were wiped out. As a result, some of the Jews, they commingled with the pagans. And as a result, they, they were influenced by the pagan worship, the idols and so forth, resulting in them failing to obey God's commandment, resulting in them being influenced by their religion and idolatry, resulting in them being punished by God for this act. So this is why it's so important that we need to judge the sin. We need to take a hard stance that if any member of our midst is not repentant over that sin, we need to take a very hard line. Now perhaps in this particular passage, you know, we may find that verse 5 is rather disturbing. And again, if you want to look at verse 5, Paul says this regarding to the person who, who, who has sinned. He says that you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Wow, tough saying. What exactly is Paul referring here? What exactly did really Paul mean when he says this offender is to be handed over to Satan? Well, for one thing, it does not mean that the individual is deprived of his salvation. Why? Simply because the church doesn't have the authority. The church cannot grant the individual eternal life. <coughs> Commentators cannot agree to exactly what Paul is implying here. But I think one good explanation to comprehend God's, uh, Paul's word is this. You see, when Paul mentions this in verse 5, he's saying that when a Christian is in fellowship with God and together with the church, he enjoys that special spiritual protection from God against Satan's attack. So as long as you're doing the things that is pleasing to God, you are not delivered over to the devil. You are in safe hands, so to speak. But at the same time, if the person is out of this fellowship, out of fellowship with the church because of his sin, he doesn't want to change. Paul is saying that it is as good as this person being given over to Satan. Why? Because his action is detrimental to the whole community. Paul is much saying that, hey, let this person go because he's not going to be a good influence in our midst. And this verse also perhaps tells us that it is the hope that eventually when, when, he, when, when he is handed over to the devil, he begins to kind of realize his mistake. All right? Just like David did. When he finally realized that he was wrong, he repented and he was saved. So after mourning over our sin, after judging over our sin, Paul tells us that the third and final instruction is for the church to purge away the sin. Now observe here that Paul didn't mince his words in his pronouncement over this serious matter. We have heard earlier what he said in verse 2 and 5, where he says, Let him who has done this be removed from among you. 
You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Now he adds in verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven. Verse 13, purge the evil person from among you. And then to enforce his point, Paul brings his readers back to the time of Israel's deliverance out of the bondage of Egypt, and he uses this image of the Passover meal. You see, one of the essential requirements regarding this meal was that no yeast, no leaven is to be found anywhere in their dwelling. Even the bread, you know, that they were to consume at the feast was to be unleavened. So Paul was therefore showing here the extent of the seriousness of sin by using this illustration of leaven. Because you see, biblically, leaven is a picture of sin. And though it may be small, leaven is very powerful. It works secretly. You can't see the leaven, but when you mix it with the flour, you know, and when the, and, and when the bread comes out, you find that it spreads. It, 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 it will puff up. It will puff up the dough. And so Paul is telling us that the particular member of the church that sinned was reckoned to be like that yeast. He may be small, he may be only one person, but like that yeast, he can create big problem for the church. It is very much like cancer. Like cancer, the person was defined, that sinful person is defined the entire loaf of bread, and like cancer in the body, it needed to be removed with drastic surgery. And this is why you find that in verse 7, Paul insists, he tells the Corinthian church, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And then he says in verse 13 again, purge the evil person from among you. The call is to radically rid cleanly in our lives of any malice and evil. The church, with its members, we must be pure as possible, like unleavened bread, if we are to receive Jesus as our bride. In the concluding segment then, from verses 9 to 12, we find that Paul concludes this segment where he emphasizes the importance of separation from the world. He says in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. If any member is guilty of sin, the rest of the community is not to associate with the sinner. And, you know, just in case we do not know who are the people who sin, you find that Paul gives a list of the people. He says those who are greedy, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the swindler, he says, don't associate, don't mix with such people, don't eat with this group of people. But bear in mind, Paul is not saying that separation means you isolate yourself from the world. Huh? No. As Christians passing through this imperfect world, we cannot avoid contact with sinners. But what Paul is trying to tell us is simply this. Don't get yourself so involved in the lifestyle and that you end up yourself being sinful. Bible teaches us that we are living in a sinful world, but we are to be salt and light in this world. We are to change these people around. And quoting this English Christian evangelist and author, Leonard Ravenhill, he says this, that the greatest miracle that God can do today 
is to take an unholy man like you and I out of an unholy world, make him holy, and then put him back into the unholy world and keep him holy in it. So we are called to live in an unholy world, but yet to live a holy life, to be a good influence to this world. So church, it is the responsibility of us as leaders to admonish sinful people. And as pointed out in verse 12, Paul says, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And once again, he ends off by saying, we are to purge the evil person from among you. And so in closing then, you find that the passage today focuses on how the church should respond to a sinful deed. But part of the emphasis here is also touching on church discipline. Whether is it a sexual sin or some other form of sin which can cause disunity in the body, any sin displeases God. And when we sin, the guilty person must be held accountable. For us to be a healthy church, Paul teaches us the three things. We must mourn over our sin, we must judge the sin, and we must purge the sin. So let us strive to be that radiant bride of Christ, that when Christ comes, He will find us pure and holy. Let us pray. So Father, this evening we want to thank You for reminding us that we are the bride of Christ, that when the day comes where Your Son Jesus will come and take us to be with Him, Lord, teach us right now to be pure and holy before you. Father, help us, Lord, in the situation that some of us may be in. We are struggling over certain sins. We are struggling over certain lifestyle that is not right. Lord, as your word has spoken, as your word has revealed to us, we need to come clean before you. So I just want to pray for each and every one of us whoever you may be, that if you are struggling in some areas, and if you know of anyone who has sinned, may we have the bonus, the courage, to go and confront and tell that person, brother, sister, you need to repent. Let us have this right attitude of not ignoring things, of not putting things under the carpet, but to deal with it openly, because biblically, this is what you want us to do. So Father, help us as your word has spoken. May you challenge us to do the right thing as we commit ourselves once again to your hands. In Jesus' name we pray.